on this uh, Thanksgiving weekend, God, that, that has Black Friday with all of its craziness, that's a pretty powerful song for us to sing. You can have this whole world, but give me Jesus. God, we have come into this place this morning of our own free will. No one forced us to be here. And we have come for the purpose of worship, thanking you and praising you because you're God and you have given to each of us life and breath and all that we are and all that we have. And we've come to proclaim that you are far more important than anything or any pile of stuff. And we've set aside this hour or so, God, for an encounter with you. And we're asking you, please, to speak your loving truth into our lives. Because you alone know, God, what each of us needs to learn today, what we need to hear from you today. And then, God, we've asked you to stir deeply in our lives, to do what only you can do in each of us. For some of us, that's encouragement today. For others, it's healing today. For some, it's challenge and cleansing and conviction. And then we're asking, God, that when you send us out from this place, you propel us back out into our world, that, oh, God, you would help us to be a people who make a difference in our world. So we choose to open our ears and our hearts and we choose to invite you to draw us close to yourself now, God, touching us right at the point of our need. In Jesus' name, I am praying this on behalf of all of us. Amen and amen. And I'm dismissing our children, the little ones, up through grade four, and I thank you wonderful adults who prepare yourselves for them. On the front of your worship folder, do you see what I wrote for you this week? In the frenzy of Black Friday, Black Friday weekend, many voices call us to consider our transition from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Elderly voices who survived the Great Depression and world wars caution us to fiscal responsibility and family priority. Young voices assure us that they would much prefer a loving, united family rather than piles of gifts. Isn't that true? Billions of desperate people around the world urge us to live simple and compassionate lives, seeing their hopelessness. And as we draw near to God, friends, what does he say to you and to me? I hope you brought your copy of God's Word today, and if you did, could I invite you to open it into the New Testament to Luke chapter 1. And if you didn't happen to bring a Bible, there should be one under the chair in front of you or near there, and I'd urge you to take it because we're going to look at some important words in God's Word today as we begin the journey toward Christmas, the Advent journey. Somebody tell me what page Luke chapter 1 is on in those Bibles under the chair, would you? 723? Thank you very, very much. Uh, most everyone in this room has a driver's license, I would presume. And this is the weekend of the year that uh, lots of people put lots of miles on their vehicles, especially. And have you noticed that when you get onto the roads, especially those roads that are multiple lanes wide, 
and near the big cities, there's lots of signs, and you better be paying close attention or you may find yourself in the wrong lane, right? And your exit is going that way, and you can't get over there because of all the traffic. Or maybe you have found yourself in one of those exit-only lanes, and you go, no, no, I don't want to get off, but the traffic is so thick, you're getting off whether you want to or not. Uh, this is the on-ramp weekend, the on-ramp towards Christmas, the Advent uh, month, shall we say. And I'm inviting you to join me in a journey. And the, the road signs that we're going to pass along the way are scriptures and, and worship and questions. If you take your notes that I prepare for you out of your worship folder, you'll see this week that I've written several questions for you there. And I'm going to suggest keep these notes along with the Digging Deeper that I hope you pick up and take some notes during our worship time, but especially when you get some private time with God, maybe in your tent of meeting, as Merrill was talking about earlier, ask yourself these questions. Think through them, and week after week, we're going to journey together so that by the time we get to Christmas, it will have been a very special journey. So let's begin with Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, stop. You remember when telegrams, you remember what those things are? The, a few words and then stop for reflection. In the book of Psalms, occasionally, You'll see the word selah. It means stop and reflect and ponder. In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, the purpose of that little phrase is to help the reader, no matter who you are or where you are in the world, and no matter what time of history, this is now 2,000 years ago, to be able to identify both a place and a time. This is Herod the Great. He, he reigned from 37 B.C. to 4 A.D., and he was king over Judea and Palestine. It was during the time of the great Roman Empire, and so Palestine was an occupied place. It was a very tense place, very similar to Palestine of today. You see one of the questions that I've asked in your notes there about a third of the way down on the front page, how would you describe the times in which you live? That's a good, thoughtful question. How would you describe the times at 2011, 2010, uh, this particular holiday season in which you live? In the times of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Stop. Now we have identified something more specific. We're talking about a Jewish priest, for Abijah was one of 24 divisions of priests that King David himself had identified. Each division of priests would come to Jerusalem for two weeks every year, and it was their privilege to do the work of the temple. Zechariah was a part of the division of Abijah, and it says there that his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Stop. That's a remarkable statement. That means that you have a husband who can trace his lineage all the way to Aaron, the brother of Moses, more than a thousand years before, and he's married to a woman who can trace her lineage all the way to Aaron. That means the pedigree, if I can use that word, for this couple is very, very unusual. If ever there was going to be a young man who was going to be born into, can I call it, royal blood of the priesthood, it would be this couple, where both mom and dad can trace their lineage all the way to Aaron. But look at the next line. 
Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Well, we would expect that of two royal priesthood family people, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both older folks now, went along in years. Now, if you put together there verse 6 and verse 7, it seems to be what some would call an oxymoron. 6 tells us they were blameless, holy, honorable, upright people, but 7 tells us they had every reason to be angry, bitter, resentful people because you can imagine more than anything else they would have desperately wanted a son to pass the priesthood on to, but now they were old people and they had no children. So how could it be that they were these upright, honorable, holy people. Clearly, they had hearts that trusted God, even though they had an empty crib that probably had sat in the living room for a long time waiting for a son that never came. And so do you see my questions? Describe your faith relationship with God. First, describe the times in which you live. Second, how does your faith relationship with God compare to these two old folks here? Once, verse 8, when Zechariah's division was on duty, it means he was there in Jerusalem serving in the temple during one of those two weeks every year that he had that great privilege. He was serving as a priest before God, and he was, verse 9, chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple and burn incense. You'll remember that this was the temple that had been built 500 years before during the time of Ezra and then later near Nehemiah. You'll remember that the temple had two rooms, a holy place and a most holy place. And the most holy place was where the Ark of the Covenant was, and only one person went in there only one day a year on the Day of Atonement, and that was the high priest. But into the holy place one very fortunate priest would go in the morning and another very fortunate priest would go in the evening. And how did you get the right to go in there? When your division of priests came for your week, all the names of the eligible priests were put in a basket, I suppose, and someone would reach in and draw out a name. And you got to be one of those people on one of those days. And they'd reach in and draw another name. But once your name was drawn... Your name was never again for the rest of your life placed back in the basket. It was a once-in-a-lifetime privilege to go into the temple to pray. Zechariah was a very old man. Year after year after year, he had come, first as a young man, energetic, maybe this will be my year, then a middle-aged man, and now a very old man. I wonder if long ago he'd given up hope that his name would ever be selected. But this week, an arm picked out the name Zechariah. It was going to be his once-in-a-lifetime privilege to go in the temple to pray all by himself in the presence of God. Then, verse 11, if you like to mark in your Bible, circle that word then. Do you know why? That word makes midnight, Thursday night that begins Black Friday, look like nothing happened. That word then is one of the most significant moments in all of human history. Because at that moment, 
God began the journey toward Christmas. Then an angel of the Lord God appeared to Zechariah standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah, when he saw him, of course, he was terrified and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Zechariah, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. I, I don't know what you were doing late Thursday night. Dawn and I were doing what the beds were made for and night times are all about sleeping. But we did go out on Friday just to inquire, and we went to the Best Buy. I guess it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I asked some folks, so what was it like here at midnight? Well, they said the line stretched from the front door all around to the loading dock in the back of the building at midnight. What were people waiting for? Televisions and laptops and all kinds of good things. And then the guy said to me, of course, he ran out in about 10 minutes. But it was a lot of fun for everybody. Wasn't so much fun in some of the Walmarts across the country. Evidently, now you need to bring pepper spray antidote with you when you go to Black Friday at certain places in certain cities, right? Retailers for months had been looking forward to the Friday after Thursday. They'd been carefully studying the purchasing habits of the people in all of their stores across the United States, right? And they had tried to anticipate what is going to be the great hunger in America come Friday after Thanksgiving. They had placed their orders and manufacturers had ramped up and trucks had brought it all and they were ready. And we, the buying public, of course, we've been watching the advertisements carefully and lists had been made and dear folks got plenty of sleep the day before because they were armed and ready to go rushing through those doors. But that is nothing compared to this moment in time when an old man is standing by himself in the temple and an angel appears to him with an announcement. Human history is about to change and you get to be part of it, Zechariah. Now I'd like to ask you to think about this. Is it possible that God has been watching human history carefully and the times have come that God is ready to move again in a significant way? And is it possible that during a worship service in these next weeks or, or during a time of opening God's Word like right now or during a time of your private prayer time with God, God might speak to you and say your name. I'm inviting you now to be a part of what I have been waiting to do for a long time. You're ready. Our world is ready. Will you join me? That's what's happening right here. So do you see the questions that I've written there for you? How would you describe the times in which you live? How would you describe your communication pattern with God? And are you ready to receive a word from God? How would you describe your faith relationship with God? Obviously, Zechariah and Elizabeth had not given up on God. They still had great faith, even though an empty crib. And how would you respond to a word from God just for you? When was your last such experience? And what did God tell you the last time you had a significant encounter with God? As I look out at your faces, I conclude that there are some in the room who have never had a significant experience with God. May I tell you, God longs to draw you close to himself. 
all through the Bible from beginning to end. Isn't that part of the big story of the Bible? Over and over and over, God reaching to unsuspecting people. Sometimes in the middle of a busy day, sometimes in a quiet, prayerful moment, God loves to take the initiative and come close to a person and invite them, first of all, to recognize who he is and how much he loves them and how he would like to invite them into what he's doing in our world. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Wouldn't you love for it to happen to you sometime in the next five weeks? Look what happens. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. I, I don't think he was talking there about the prayer that Zechariah was praying at that moment in the temple. I believe he was talking about this prayer that Zechariah had been praying for 30 or 40 or 50 years. Oh, God, bless us with a son. If you're one who has been crying out to God and you've been praying for something for a long time and it has not yet happened, may I urge you, don't give up and use this passage as one of many for not giving up. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will in fact bear you a son. What? In our old age? It shows me that his heart was ready to hear a miraculous word from God and then step with God in being a part of it. Your dear wife will give you a son. I wonder if as he stood there, immediately into his mind came Abraham and Sarah in their old age with Isaac. And then Isaac and Rebekah. She too couldn't have children, and God opened her womb, and God blessed her, remember, with twins, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob and Rachel had the same problem, and God opened up her womb, remember, with Joseph, and then years later with Benjamin. And then Elkanah and Hannah, and God opened her womb and blessed them with Samuel. I wonder if he stood there and he thought, Elizabeth and me, in that line of great heroes of of God's miraculous work among our people over the generations? We will have a special miraculous son? And then Gabriel says, and you are to name him John. I wonder if old Zechariah furrowed his brow. John? I don't know any John. There's no John in my family. John? Why? Whenever God chooses a name, there's a very special reason. Do you know what the name John means? God is gracious. God is kind and compassionate and loving. Why is that important? Because during these times, the times of the Roman Empire, people were beginning to give up on God. If God does exist, he's obviously forgotten about us, especially the Hebrews, the Jews. God has long since abandoned us. It's been 400 years since anybody has heard anything from God. Clearly, if God loved us, he wouldn't be allowing this Roman Empire to choke us to death. Obviously, God's given up. No, no. Zechariah, your son will be like a walking neon sign. His very name will be a celebration that God hasn't given up. God hasn't abandoned. God hasn't forgiven. God is gracious, and he's reaching to you in his loving kindness. Amen? So what does your name mean? I did a study some time back. What does Doug, Douglas, what does that mean? You know what it means? Seeker of light. Amen. A truth follower, a truth seeker. 
And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Amen. I'm happy to bear a name that says I'm a follower of Jesus, a seeker of, of the light. You'll name him John. And look, <laughs> oh, Zechariah, God knows about your broken heart. God knows how you've longed to have a son that you could pour your life into. God knows that your wife, her arms have ached for a son. He will be, a, do you see what it says? He will be a joy and a delight to you. In other words, God is going to take your, your broken heart and heal it. You'll, you'll be overflowing with joy because of a son. <laughs> and many will rejoice because of his birth. <laughs> Can you ask yourself the question so I don't have to ask it? <laughs> Are you a great joy, and have you been to your family and the people who know you? Have you been a delight to those around you? Have you been a great joy to many people? Walk into a nursery in a hospital and look at those babies. God has created every single one of them for his great glory, his delight and joy, and to be a joy in their families. Amen? God knows your heart, Zechariah. You'll be a smiling old man. You'll have great joy because God loves you. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, verse 15. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. I wonder if Zechariah stroked his beard right there and thought, now, I wonder what that means. How will he be great in the sight of the Lord? What comes to your mind when I read that little phrase? Talk to me for just a moment. Uh, what does it look like when a, a man, a woman, a young person is great in the sight of the Lord? What are some of the characteristics of that kind of a person? Favor, favor God's favor. An awesome, An awesome. <laughs> okay. Thankfulness. Thankfulness, thank you. What else? Servant. Servant. Thankful. Trustworthy. Humble, yes. Courageous. Honorable. Stable. A person who is great in the sight of the Lord. How about a person who is obedient to God? Hmm? He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Have you been? Have I been? Not because of great things that we have accomplished, but because of the core of our character, the who we are. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. He's never to take wine or fermented drink. Hmm. Do you suppose that, that the angel there is saying... He needs to be clear in mind and thought at all times, never finding himself in a situation where something has dulled his thinking so he might err and make a wrong decision or, or might be confused and not able to discern how God is leading him or that his heart might be drawn away to, to, to lust and pursue after other things because his heart has been deadened by the effects of alcohol or other things but rather he will be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if you've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you know that God has placed his Holy Spirit within you. And all through the Bible, especially in Paul's writings in the New Testament, it talks to us about what that looks like and feels like, the fruits that the Holy Spirit are, love, joy, peace, and so on. 
He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. The hand of God will be upon him. Look, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. He will be one who himself draws near to God, but he will be contagious in that he will draw others. So can you ask yourself the question, have you been one who has been a magnet that has been drawing people toward Jesus during your lifetime, especially since you've known Jesus? And what is it about you that draws people to Jesus? Is it your effervescent joy that can only be explained as the Holy Spirit of God resides within you? And regardless of what the difficult circumstances of life are that you face, the joy that's in you, only God could have put it there. Is it the wisdom that God has granted to you that people in their moments of confusion and needing answers, they come to you seeking wisdom? Is it your compassion that just pours out of you in great care for hurting people? Is it your patience? Is it your prayer life? And people who need somebody to pray with them, they come to you because they know you're a man or a woman of prayer. Is it your worship? And people just love to worship with you. What is it about you that draws people to God? And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, Zechariah was a Jewish man, of course, and so that would mean a great deal to him and other Jews. Elijah was one of their great prophets. He was the one, you'll remember, who went up on the top of Mount Carmel and called down the fire from heaven when there were 450 prophets of Baal there. He was the one who said, there will not be rain for a long time because I am the servant of the Most High God, and he sent me to tell you that. He stood courageously in the face of wickedness. He was a man of great faith, a man of great prayer. God actually used him to heal and to raise people from the dead. He'll go on, this John will, in the spirit and power of Elijah, can you imagine? And then do you see what it says? To turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Men, if you like to mark your Bible, I urge you to underline that line. Do you know why? If you study history, every society that has ever began to implode, one of the major contribu contributors to the implosion of society is when the men disengage from their families and find themselves too busy either with work or with hobbies or with self-indulgence, and they delegate to their wives the raising of the children. I don't want to be bothered with them. But God says, no, no, men, that is one of our greatest privileges of all. It's Psalm 78, isn't it? Passing on to our children what we have learned from our fathers. We're coaches, we're mentors, we're, we're discipliners of our children. We are the ones who are raising them up to be God-honoring sons and daughters. Amen? And in partnership with our wives, we're modeling for them what a God-honoring home looks like. So when they get old enough to start dating and start thinking about how to build their family, they'll be able to say to both mom and dad, thank you very much, you modeled it for me. I know exactly how God wants it to be. Do you see here, John will go before the Lord in the spirit of Elijah, turning the hearts of the fathers back to their children. It tells me that they were going away from their families and their children, and they needed to be called back again. That's repentance, to turn back. And 
the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. You understand that. That means disobedient people who have convinced themselves that the direction that they're going, the things that they're doing, even though some people say it's wrong, for them it's okay. But it leads them down this very dangerous dark path, doesn't it? The disobedient will come to recognize, I am in fact going the wrong direction. I am in fact making decisions that are harming my family and ruining my reputation and legacy. I must turn back and I must find myself drawn to wise, God-honoring people, holy people. I must change. That's repentance. One of the most beautiful words in the Bible. When you recognize you're going in the wrong direction away from God, you turn, you repent, and you turn back to him to get it right. Amen? That's what John was going to be, one who was calling people, come back, turn, you're going the wrong way. One of the things that I actually enjoy doing is spending time in some of the busiest airports in the world, Atlanta, Chicago, New York. And I like standing near these escalators where it seems like everybody on the planet is being forced to get onto these two or three escalators all going up or down, watching this mass of humanity. And if you're in an international airport, they're obviously from all over the world. And I love standing there and imagining this is what it must look like in heaven. As thousands and thousands of people are coming by the minute into God's presence. But may I tell you that I also stand there and I ask myself now, how many of these people are actually going to arrive in heaven? And statistically, of course, the truth is that the vast majority of them will only see God one time when he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Your name is not written in the book. You were so busy pursuing your own life that you didn't turn back to me at any time in your lifetime. There is no place here in my presence for you. Depart from me. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that I've stood sometimes at those escalators and I've wept to think about the sheer vastness of humanity that don't have the foggiest idea that in the busyness of their pursuit of life, they're going the wrong direction away from God to a Christless eternity. Zechariah, your little boy, is going to have one primary purpose, calling humanity back to God, preparing the way for Messiah. He is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So in my notes, I gave you a couple of questions to ponder this week. How have I been preparing a place and a people for a God visit? Place, start with your own home. How have you been preparing your home, your family, for a visitation of God, if I can say it that way? Your workplace, your, your social group, the community in which you live. How have you been preparing yourself for a fresh work of God in these next four or five weeks? What would you have said when the angel finally stopped to take a breath? Uh, Zechariah said, how can I be sure of this? I have a feeling he probably said much more than that, but at least that little phrase we have. Since I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered, look at it. I am Gabriel. He gave his name. There's only three angels that are named in the Bible, as you know. Gabriel is one. He apparently is up the primary messenger angel. He comes here to planet Earth on occasion, sent by God for a message. The second one is Michael the warrior angel, the defender of Israel. And the third is Lucifer. 
an archangel that had stood in the very presence of God, evidently a worship leader like these men this morning. But he became prideful, rebelled against God, and God threw him out. We know him as Satan. No other angel is named in the Bible. I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. Can I tell you that I've read over that maybe 50 times this week? What must that be like to stand in the presence of God? Not, I get an opportunity occasionally to go in to meet with God. No, no, I stand in the presence of God. And you see what it says there? And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. The way I see it, God, surrounded by angels, the risen Lord Jesus Christ sitting next to him at a moment in history. Gabriel, yes, sir, I want to send you on a message, a, a, mess, a, a, a mission with a message. Yes, sir, where? Planet Earth, Israel, the city of Jerusalem, the temple. When? I'll tell you when. Wait for my sign, because the man you're going to meet will only be there a few minutes in his entire lifetime. And what shall I say when I get there? We've just taken a look at what he was supposed to say. Do you suppose, Zechariah said, Sir, what language does this human being speak? Ever thought about that? I would suspect, God answered, Hebrew. Perhaps he spoke Greek as well, since that was the Roman trade language, business language. But certainly he would know Hebrew. You are to address him in Hebrew. His name is Zechariah. And maybe God went on and explained a lot about Zechariah. He's longed for a son. Here's my question. Do you suppose it's possible that God has been watching you your whole lifetime? Is it possible that he might say, Gabriel? got another mission for you. The United States of America, Williams Bay, Wisconsin, Lake Geneva, Elkhorn. And then he says your name. And then he tells Gabriel, here's the message. And here's what's going on in this person's life. Gabriel asks, and what language does they speak? <laughs> Some of you in this room are bilingual and trilingual. What would the message be that God would give to Gabriel for you? He doesn't need to use Gabriel, does he? The Holy Spirit lives within you if you are a follower of Jesus. The question is, is your life uncluttered enough that if God speaks to you in a special way during these next five weeks, you'll know it. Do you have enough silence in your life that you'll be able to recognize exactly what he's saying and what it means? And do you have enough margin in your life that you can respond obediently to what he's inviting you to? Is it possible, my friends, that you and I have missed already in our lifetimes many, many times when God sent a word to you. But you and I were so busy we didn't even recognize it. It was so noisy we couldn't hear it. 
or maybe you sensed your heart being drawn and maybe you understood what God was inviting you to but you pulled back because God not right now my family my job my, my, my whatever it was for you could it be in the next five weeks God's ready to take another step toward you I have been sent to you Zechariah to speak to you and to give you this good news and now you'll not you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true in their proper time and I believe in part he was struck silent so that he would not communicate during that time can you imagine the thousands of questions that would come to him if word got out that the angel Gabriel had actually met with him every talk show would want to have an interview with him every newspaper would thousands of people would be lined up at his door tell me the story again let me ask you but being unable to speak he had nothing but silence to reflect for nine months on what this was all about and to be ready as you'll see if you'll take my digging deeper this week when the little baby was finally born to suddenly receive the gift of speech again and to proclaim what the baby's name was what is my understanding of heaven and God's presence you see that question how prepared is my heart for a fresh word from God is that a fair question for all of us and then the last line that I'd like you to see the beginning of verse 21 meanwhile while Zechariah was in with the angel meanwhile the people were waiting for Zechariah you're privileged to be here this morning you made the right choice to spend an hour or so in the presence of God meanwhile you've got family and friends and co-workers who are busy going about their day may I suggest that God's desire is when you walk out these doors like Zechariah you're a changed person and you're ready to be a spokesperson for God and over these next five weeks may I suggest God is going to keep inviting you into drawing near to him and having these encounters with him so that you may very well be the Zechariah or the Elizabeth that your extended family needs that your friends and co-workers need who's waiting for you could you be God's response to them why don't we talk to him right now God it's an amazing thought that we have the privilege of actually speaking with you like Zechariah right now we are in a sacred place a place of encounter with the living God a temple of worship right now God is it possible that right now you are beginning to speak into the lives of men and women in this room young people and teenagers in this room uh, folks who are watching us or listening to our voice wherever they are at this moment oh friends right now I urge you invite God you personally invite God to take the initiative toward you to speak into your life in these next weeks invite God to show you what in your life gets in the way of hearing him of understanding what he's saying to you 
and of responding to his invitation. And when he shows you what it is, my friends, be courageous enough to push it out of your life. Make the change, whatever it needs to be in your life, so that you're ready. And if you've never met Jesus Christ, right now is a perfect moment. Jesus came, God incarnate, of course, to speak God's truth to us. He came to, to die on the cross as God's provision for your sin and mine so you can be forgiven of your sin. You can be restored back into relationship with holy God so that the Holy Spirit can be placed within you so that you can, in fact, hear the voice of God and live your life in partnership with him. And then at the moment of your departure, your death, step into his presence. If you've never trusted Jesus, trust him now. Invite him to be your savior now. And Lord Jesus Christ, we now worship you. We worship you believing these next weeks are going to be very significant for us in our relationship with you. We worship you, Jesus.